Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Well Then. On today's episode, we are taking a little pause from our conversations about love, breakups, relationships, and dating to dive back into the world of physical wellness. As many of you know, I spent the first half of my career primarily supporting people with their physical wellness before moving into the realm of mental and emotional health. And I still believe today that it's just as important to address our body as it is our mind and our spirit. I am such a fan of a holistic approach, so I'm excited to bring this conversation to you guys today. It's one of the uh, podcast interviews that I recorded last year before moving from New York back to Seattle and a handful of the health conversations that I was excited to still feature on this podcast. You know that I've talked a lot about gut health in the past, and this is going to be an episode that has a lot to do with gut health, but also a bit to do with um, one of my back in the day, (laughs) feels like a lifetime ago experiences of bodybuilding and some unique takes on that. So today's Today's guest is Wade Lightheart, who is an author, athlete, nutritionist, and an expert on fixing digestion. And Wade competed as a vegetarian, as a former bodybuilding champion, former Mr. Universe competitor. He also hosts the Awesome Health podcast, and he is one of the world's premier authorities on natural nutrition and training methods. He really knows so much about the science of health, nutrition, exercise, and gut health. He also uh, serves as an advisor to the American Anti-Cancer Institute and is the co-founder and president at BioOptimizers, which is a digestive and health optimization company. He has so much experience because he's been in the health industry for over 25 years. He's coached thousands of clients. And you're going to hear from him today a little bit more about um, digestive health, different things you can do to support your gut health. We also talk a bit about bodybuilding and how that can have um, a pretty sometimes negative impact on physical health, on digestion when it's not done properly. Many of you know my (laughs) thoughts on bodybuilding if you've been following me for quite some time. So I'm excited for you to to hear this conversation. There's so much um, good stuff you can get out of it. And Wade shares some really great takeaways with you all to support your overall gut health. Because as you know, I'm an advocate that when you are physically well, then everything else in your life improves. Hence the name of this podcast, Well Then. So let's talk a little bit today about addressing our physical health so that we can improve all the other areas after that. All right. Hi, Wade. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Megan. Great to be here. Absolutely. I know we are both uh, kind of digestive health nerds, so this is going to be a fun conversation and and uh, I'm really excited to dive in. Sounds great. So one of the things that I love about your bio is, you know, you're talking about you're an author and an athlete, nutritionist, and you're an expert on fixing digestion. And that stands out so much because I think that just about everybody could raise their hand and say like, yeah, I need a little help with my digestion. So just right off the bat, where do you even start with people when it comes to fixing their digestion? How do you dive into helping them understand what's going on inside their body and and how to heal it? Uh, Excellent question. And I think first and foremost, one of the biggest challenges that people have in regards to their digestion is understanding of how we got into this situation as a population. So let me just give you a couple of statistical components that would might shock our listeners. 
13% of the emergency hospital visits right now are related to gastrointestinal issues. 100 million people in the United States, that's basically one third of the population is suffering from digestive issues on any given day. And 25% of those people are on permanent prescription medications, which for the most part were generally designed to be used to four to six weeks as a temporary solution. So we have, and, and you go, well, how did we get to this point? And to understand and solve a problem, first you have to do the wide scope accounting. And what that means is, is over the last 80 years, this is a problem that has been created because of the environmental food production distribution, uh, growing, manufacturing, and the additives that have been added to all those components in each phase of the food production cycle has radically altered um, what we call food, what is uh, concordant with food, and what is missing from food. And the designations and uh, from the nutrition industry about what food is and what, what it requires in order for digest, absorb, and utilize have not taken an accurate accountability of the full big picture. And so what happens is the user, the person sitting here that says, meal, I don't know why, or I can't go to the bathroom anymore, or like I've, I feel constipated, I'm embarrassed about it. They're, they're trying to look at it as a, hey, I need to take this or do that to fix this problem. Mm -hmm. But I think what happens is you end up into kind of a, a reactive or, or like a reactive cycle there that never deals with the underlying problem in the beginning. And if you don't understand the problem from the beginning, you can possibly solve the problem. And I think it's safe to say with those type of numbers we're talking about that we're not solving that problem. It's, it's scaling upwards, uh, obesity scaling upwards, blood sugar regulations uh, going upwards, uh, immune system uh, compromisation, of course, is a big function. It's, it's one of the number one factors of comorbidities. And then, you know, the last resort getting to a hospital have all indicated we're doing a very poor job. And the reliant, reliance on, I would say, traditional medical authorities or government regulatory bodies, which uh, are, have been, you know, deeply influenced by specialty interest groups. You know, if you look at the food pyramid, for example, I mean, that has nothing to do with anything that's going to make your, your health well and functional. And so we have to be mindful and seek out expertise who have solved those problems. So that's the big piece of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I wanted to, I wanted to explain that to people because understanding that's important. And then second, the second thing is understanding that if you put food inside your mouth, it doesn't just magically convert into either energy units or building blocks and anything that you put in your mouth that isn't digest, absorbed and assimilated properly now is a potential toxin, a potential contaminant and a potential disruptor of virtually every aspect of your life. Starting first with like these kind of symptomatic uh, components of uncomfortableness or, you know, whether it's acid reflux or heartburn, or like I said, bloated or gas or constipation or, or one of these things to start. But what that's, what's, those are early indicators that you're going to have problem the road that's going to cause first pharmaceutical intervention and then ultimately to surgery which the concordant concordant 
compromisation of, of your life or even the loss of it in some safe, if you look at the amount of gastrointestinal surgeries. So it's very serious issues. Many of the other diseases that are taking out humans today um, are related to the challenges of living in a highly technologically, industrially advanced world using food production and distribution technologies that really uh, humans haven't adapted to. I'm so glad that that you started off by sharing that because especially with a lot of the women I work with, if they're if if they're struggling with digestive issues and they have been for quite some time, I think that there can obviously be this sense of feeling defeated because it, it is so painful and frustrating to experience those symptoms on a daily basis. But I also see a lot of them feeling like it's their fault. They're doing something wrong. They're not eating the right foods or like there's something wrong with their body. And I think that you shining light on the fact that it is such a bigger systemic problem that mm -hmm. goes so much beyond just the individual decisions that we're making, but really educating yourself on that can hopefully help set you up for, for aligning yourself with, with better decisions for your body and your health conditions. Yeah. And I think there's, um, there's an interesting point. And oftentimes women are kind of, I would say the most dominant position in food for themselves and the family. It, mm -hmm. If you compare men versus women, and I deal with both sides of the spectrum there. I think there's a far as a gen, and this is a generalization, just women seem to be more switched on and feel maybe more emotional responsibility around food than yeah. men. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just the way it is. Um, and we have to understand, I think, I think there's a two, there's two parts to your statement there. That's important. And the first one is yes. Um, owning the responsibility of, okay, maybe I'm not doing something the way I could is okay, but not, not taking on, I would say the emotional collateral damage in guilt or shame or fear or any of those negative emotions, which tend to flip the nervous system into a state that further compromises the health, the, the digestive system, you know what right. I mean? Like, so um, yes, number one, taking on as much responsibility for your health and your diet is always a positive stuff. Not taking on the negative emotionality associated with this is the other aspect. So if you're listening to this and you have digestive issues, we're going to be able to resolve those in a very clear and systematic format so that you and your family um, can move forward in a direction that you want to do. Absolutely. Because, you know, you talk about, you know, being an expert on fixing digestion, that means it's fixable. It means it's something that we can, that we do have agency over and, and can make some change in our lives going beyond, uh, like you said, being overly medicated and even beyond just prescription medications. I remember I, I was first diagnosed with IBS when I was a teenager. I was about 16, 17 years old, experiencing chronic digestive issues for the first time. And the best that they could really tell me was like, well, take Tums when you don't feel well, like take, mm -hmm. take antacids when your stomach hurts. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's gotta be a better answer than that. Cause that's not working. <laughs> yeah. It's the equivalent of, of, of uh, pulling the fuse on the oil light when the, when the oil lights on your right, car, right? Like just so, ignore it. <laughs> yeah, keep driving and uh, maybe take that car. But then, unfortunately you can, you can sell your car or junk your car. You can't really do that with your body. Um, so, you know, you've got you've to see the oil light for what it is and, and fix the problem. But I think that, again, there's been a misdirection 
uh, with the population because of a, a not comprehending the, the, the digestive process. And, and, and keep in mind, I want to give a couple caveats. You know, I was classically trained as an exercise physiologist, as a sports nutritionist, and, you know, ended up at the aesthetic ideal of, for, for men competing at the, the world championships in, in bodybuilding, Mr. Universe contest, which the decisions I was making there under the guise of many experts in incredible amount of resource led me to gain 42 pounds of fat and water in 11 weeks after that Mr. Universe show. And basically I destroyed my digestive system or certainly compromised it to the extent that, you know, I had every single digestive issue, acid reflux, heartburn, uh, bloating, gas, constipation, and diarrhea all, all in that period of time. And it was like, how did this happen to me? Who's supposed to know this? And um, I had the good fortune of meeting an, a highly educated um, medical doctor who had run into similar problems himself and took his intelligence and his, and his expertise and, and went in a different direction and solved the problems for himself, gave me those solutions, which I applied and rectified all my situations. And it was so powerful and so important. I ended up starting a company to, uh, to, to address those first within athletes and then in the general population at large. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Cause that was something I was very excited to dig into you with you as well. I know we, we share that to a similar degree in our background. I competed in, in figure competitions, um, for, for several years. And I saw that same kind of process or phenomenon in so many athletes, really these people who from the outside you would think are like the picture of health, but like have absolutely like wrecked their, their digest, uh, their digestion, their hormonal state, all of it. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about like what that, what that healing process looked like for you when you found yourself in that place? Yes. So um, there's three aspects that people get attracted to the health optimization world or what, what I do. And then most people get attracted in by aesthetics mm -hmm. is your first enter into the fitness world. I want to look good. You know, I want to look like the cover of the magazine or the Instagram model or whatever. Right. And, and, and in our, you know, in a comp competitive thing or looking for that external side, the uh, the aesthetic ideal has a performance-based diet. In other words, you're going to eat a certain diet that's advocated by experts in that area. Some people are going to use um, pharmaceutical enhancements. Some people aren't. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're looking for an externalized outcome, oftentimes at the cost of your internal function. And so eventually you end up under the third part. So there's aesthetics, there's performance, and then ultimately there's health. And all athletes... Um, end up at some point dealing with the health consequences of the first two decisions. <laughs> and unfortunately, in the sport that is extreme as fitness competitions, figure competitions, uh, bikini competitions, and, and, and physique competitions in large, you're getting to super physiological low levels of body fat that may not be in accordance with, I would say, optimal human biology. Mm -hmm. And what happens, and particularly with women, uh, you'll see a lot of young women going down that road. And younger women, as a you know, an adaptive evolutionary response, are generally supposed to have higher levels of body fat because it's more supportive for having children. Right. 
And when you start dropping your body fat down on these performance type diets or extreme dieting, even if you're not in that to kind of, you know, you want to look good for your wedding pictures or whatever it happens to be, or, you know, you get a high school reunion or whatever, mm-hmm. but, but whatever the external motivation factor where you're motivated to look a certain way aesthetic and will take, I would say radical intervention. Um, what happens is it's very disruptive to the hormonal access uh, for women. Um, and it, I, I can't tell you how many wonderful, motivated, um, well-intended and, and high achieving young women have absolutely wrecked themselves from going down that route, uh, you know, in pursuit of a trophy or some idea that they're going to get a pro card or recognized, or they're going to be more attractive to somebody or whatever happens to be. And so what you have to realize is there's two stages to it. There's, there's the physical side of it, but then there's the emotional self-identification side. And what happens is they get out of the contest and you see them back at the competition coaching the other girls, but they themselves might be 20 or 30 pounds over their ideal weight because everything's in disarray. The, the food that they ate disrupted their digestion, their hormones are off, they, their body's trying to recover and gain all that weight. And I went through all that myself as a man. Right. Um, and it's, it's just amplified a lot more with the women. So we can dive into the details of why that is and how to address it if you're in one of those situations, because it is correctable. Um, if you follow a, a set of principles and, and, and apply them. And that's what I did. I, I went in there. I learned about how the digestive system worked because, you know, when you read nutrition books, like I said, I was classic trained. They'll put a little two paragraphs on maybe enzymes and probiotics. Um, you're lucky if they say anything about hydrochloric acid. Mm. And, and yet those elements are the most critical functions that you have in sufficient levels and sufficient varieties in order for your digestion to even work. And going back to the 80 year problem, we've completely eradicated or almost completely eradicated uh, enzymes and probiotics, which would be naturally prevalent in the foods that we've eaten throughout, you know, however long humans have been on the planet for. We've changed that in the last 80 years and the consequences of that are showing up with obesity and all these, uh, I would say, um, food related illnesses. And I think a lot of those food related illnesses can be traced to heart disease, cancer and diabetes as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is, a, again, a much kind of bigger systemic issue to dive into. Um, and there's so, so many great points about what you just shared that I would love to dig into a little bit more, Uh, especially because, you know, you address the fact that when it comes to dieting in general, uh, specifically in the fitness competition world for certain, but um, even just any, any form of more severe restriction or dieting impacts the female body so differently than the male body. And I think that for a long time, we were just operating under the assumption that like weight loss is weight loss and like everybody's bodies kind of respond the same way. And that was, has been so detrimental to, to so many people out there and and women in particular, I've seen the same pattern that you have where women will go compete or diet down for an event. And then afterwards have that kind of rebound or bounce back where they're feeling totally out of control with their body, with weight gain, digestive issues, skin issues, um, mood imbalance, you name it. And so you mentioned kind of, there's a a sort of structured systemic way to, to really 
move through and heal that, what would that process look like? Where would somebody start? Sure. So first and foremost, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk your listeners through the digestive health process in layman's terms so that they can understand these components. And then I'm going to uh, share with you what the associative uh, symptoms you might have if one of those areas are compromised. And then the third piece, we're going to kind of dive into uh, specifics of how you address those both on a macro dietary level and on a, a micro on your personal. Is that Sound yeah, enough? sounds great. Let's dive in. Okay. So I've broken down digestion into five stages and these five stages work like this. So it's the taste, touch, smell, and as your body gets ready to consume the food that you're about to eat. And there is literally a nervous system response. You want to be in the rest and digest component as opposed to in the fight or flight. And a lot of people are yep. eating in front of screens and televisions and on their phone and in high stress environments. And I think that's a mistake. The other thing, they don't take the time to sensory prayer. So prepare for their food. So for example, if I say dill pickles and sauerkraut to people, oftentimes they'll start to get a salivary response. Yep. Just, just from a sort or if I, you, you imagine your favorite, you know, dessert from some time or your best meal at a restaurant, there, there, there's a physiological response that you can track. Um, and humans, have all these sensory components associated with food that prepares the body to engage in it. And I think that's part of why people go to fine dining restaurants, that you're indulging in these sensory experiences and, and to maximize what that is. And you can do that with any meal. Um, then the second stage is you start to chew and masticate the food as it enters into your mouth and, and then it travels down the esophagus into the stomach and the stomach is divided into two areas. There's the upper cardiac portion of the stomach, which I'm going to talk about first. Now, evolutionary response said that this is where the enzymes present in the food are supposed to break the food down. You've got about 30 to 60 minutes before the third stage kicks in, which is the hydrochloric acid will come in. Now, this is where problem area number one typically happens for most people. Humans are the only species on the planet which eats its food cooked. And when you cook food, you oftentimes kill the enzymes and probiotics present in that food or naturally associated with it. So whether, and it, it's regardless of the diet. So I'm, we're dietary agnostic. We believe that you should select the diet that is best for you, your genetics, your epigenetics, your goals, your lifestyles, and your ability to stay on it. Yep. <laughs> in a, and there's a massive variance on that. In fact, Matt and I are working on a book on that right now, oh, how to navigate that. Yeah. And, but, you know, whether you're on a full carnivore diet, whether you're an omnivore or whether you're a vegetarian, like Matt's a keto guy and I'm a vegetarian guy. So we're, we're far, pretty far on the spectrum, but you need to have enzymes are the chemical agents that are involved in virtually every single chemical transaction inside the body. There's over 25,000 different enzymatic reactions. The difference between stones, plants, and people are your ability to use these enzymes. They're essentially your metabolic checks in the body. And there was a guy, you can do the research, his name is Dr. Edward Howe, who talked about food enzymes for health and longevity and enzyme nutrition, two of his most famous books, where he discussed how they found that if they fed animals an enzymatically deficient diet by third generation, they developed a strange sociological behavior. Um, they developed strange genetic based diseases. 
and they lost the ability to procreate. And he predicted back in the 40s and 50s that humans by this time would be entering to this because of third generation dynamics of an enzymatically deficient diet. Well, guess what? It turns out he was right. Uh, and that's a fascinating topic. I won't go too deep on that, but yeah. the important is, is enzymes actually accelerate the breakdown of food and particularly in that upper cardiac, cardiac portion of the stomach. Uh, proteins are broken down there in a very specific ratio. And undigested proteins are the number one inflammatory agent inside the body. And I'll, I'll get to, I'm going to come back to that in a minute as we continue down the digestive track. Sure. After 30 to 60 minutes, hydrochloric acid comes in. Now, hydrochloric acid has a couple of key functions. Number one, it is designed to disinfect the food from uh, any pathogen that could disrupt your body. Uh, so viruses, bacteria, bugs, any type of pathogen which could harm you, the human. And that highly acidic fluid, and if you put hydrochloric acid from your stomach on a table, it would probably burn a hole right through the table. Right. It's that potent. And your, your, your stomach lining is, is capable of handling it. The rest of your body isn't. Um, and so the other secondary function of hydrochloric acid is it changes the pH of the food, which will activate some enzymes and deactivate others. And by the time you're 30 or 40 years old, you probably don't produce enough hydrochloric acid. It's pretty common. It's a pretty common issue that comes up. There's some people that produce too much, but it's very little. It's usually you don't produce enough. And unfortunately, the medical and what you experience will be acid reflux or heartburn because as if you don't produce enough hydrochloric acid, what happens, the food begins to ferment in the stomach. There's a little flap at the top of the stomach, which is called the esophageal sphincter. And that pops open. And then some of the acid that you are producing with the food chime starts to, you know, come up the esophagus. And that's where you get that heartburn or that burning situation. And then as what, what they they'll tell you is go take, go take a pill go take an antacid pill of some sort, whether that's over the counter or whether that's a prescription medication, which ironically will solve the symptom, but will now offset the defense mechanisms that your body has naturally evolved to have to protect yourself from these other pathogens. Right. It <laughs> so, makes the problem worse. <laughs> so now you're going to carry that problem down to the line to the next stage. And so the third stage of, or the fourth stage that happens is the food chime will exit the stomach and go into the intestinal tract, your body will use what's called bicarbonate buffers, which is a fancy name for alkaline minerals to buffer that acid. So it doesn't burn holes in your intestinal tract. Mm -hmm. And that's when you get, uh, you know, a gastritis or you get an ulcer, uh, a duodenal ulcer, which is a very serious condition. If you're having acid leaking through that component. Right. And then in a normal healthy situation, what will happen is the food will be inside your intestinal tract. And this is where you have your um, microbiome, which is a kind of a buzzword that's out there nowadays, which is basically the entire amount of good, bad, and ugly bacteria. As I like to say, I say there's 10% good, 10% bad, and 80% opportunist. Anywhere is between 500 and 1,000 species of bacteria may be existing inside your intestinal tract, which exist in a symbiotic relationship mm -hmm. with us as humans. And so when I grew up, you know, going to school, 
I can remember in grade three, we learned about bacteria and these were kind of these bad guys that we needed to wipe out on every chance possible, whether it's wash right. your hands or whether it's, you know, take disinfectants or use antibiotics. We needed to kill those things. But in our overzealous uh, attack on the bad guys, we often kill off the good guys as well. So if you've had a high dosages of antibiotics in you, inside your past, um, then and most of us have at some point, and antibiotics have saved millions of lives, but they've also disrupted the, the, the microbiome of our bodies and levels that we never imagined right. prior or understood the consequences of what that means. And I do believe that's a contributing factor to the digestive disease that we see, dis-ease that we see growing exponentially. And so these um, probiotics, um, we'll call them the good guys, we're kind of aware of pathogenic bacteria and those problems and those things lead to things like, you know, yeast infections, which is very common in, in, in women, um, particularly that cause a lot of issues. And there's a variety of other conditions that can lead to skin conditions, um, hormonal disimbalances and all sorts of unpleasant components, uh, as well as low immunity, leaky gut, uh, bloating and gas, which is very common constipation or diarrhea, depending on, you know, which bacteria is proliferating because of the food that you're eating or because you have undigested proteins. When you have undigested proteins in the intestinal tract, they start to leak across the blood barrier. Um, or you have pathogenic bacteria, which are eating those and producing toxins, which get into your brain. And those toxins are serious. So for example, if you're waking up in the morning and you have the crusty eyes or you have really bad breath, or you found that you're kind of like, you, you know, you need like a giant coffee to kind of wake yourself up. There's a good chance that literally you are dealing with what's called leaky gut. And that's a, a permeability in the mucoid lining that these good bacteria live in, and you're getting basically they're crapping in your blood. <laughs> the bad guys <laughs> right. are crapping in your blood. So when you say you feel like crap or they got crap for brains, that's actually a truer statement than people it's might think. Accurate. <laughs> it's a pretty accurate statement. So we have that issue. And then the final component is all of this food movement is dependent on what's called peristaltic contraction, which is the contraction of smooth muscle tissue to move the food through the body, and then finally to elimination. If you have a buildup of, of this food, undigested food inside your system, not only is it a potential toxin, but it can create a narrowing of the intestinal lining, which can lead to, when, interesting enough, both constipation and diarrhea, because if you have a narrowing of that, you'll, you'll not get the bigger movements and you'll get diarrhea, or sometimes you just can't go at all. And for a lot of women, that's a big issue. We sit as humans a lot. And sometimes because we sit or from exercise movements and stuff, we can get impingement mm -hmm. on essential nerve functioning to the, um, through the di di digestive tract. And this can disrupt peristaltic contraction. So you, if you, you definitely, and I know many chiropractors, for example, who have literally given adjustments to people, and this is kind of graphic, who, who are suffering from constipation, but then all of a sudden the, the patient literally couldn't stop crapping. And sometimes they crap <laughs> themselves on the table. Oh and my God. <laughs> because all of a sudden they, they, they got full electric power. So uh. there's, yeah. So th that's probably maybe 10 to 20% of cases there there's, but usually it,
all of these to various degrees, especially when people get into their 30s and 40s and 50s, you kind of have one problem, which leads to the next problem. It's kind of like, well, I left the oil light. Uh, I didn't put the oil in the car. The oil light come on. I pulled the fuse on the oil light. Uh, the, the car, you know, started to smoke uh, and we started to get heat and then the radiator blew up and then the engine seized. And then I, you know, I was stranded on the highway, but <laughs> it all started because it's you like didn't all deal a hot with mess the, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's the same thing that happens to your car that happens to people. Now that happens maybe not over the course of a few months, but it, we're talking, you have a body for decades and, you know, and these things start to build up and cause consequences. And so um, identifying particularly the, the enzymatic, the hydrochloric acid and the probiotic issue, along with the physiological components, almost in every case. And then the overarching diet that supports your genetics, your epigenetics and your lifestyle, then virtually anybody can wipe out whatever digestive systems that they, that they have um, going on, whatever issues. And in your experience, do you think that like once you've gotten to that point where it seems like so much has piled up over years and years that you have really severe symptoms, will you always be kind of managing your symptoms to a degree? Or do you think you can kind of make a full recovery and, and heal your digestive tract to, to the point where you are not uh, constantly managing symptoms or feeling symptomatic? That's a great question. Um, and I'll answer it in two parts um, because there are always situations that are uh, outside of corrective function. And that's when you get into the extreme cases, maybe that you've developed a diagnosable disease, which you can't come back from, or you don't have the willingness to change your lifestyle sufficiently enough. Right. Um, in order to, in order to deal with this, there's, and there's, um, there's two, there's two levels to it as well. Let's, let's talk about, Hey, can we get there? Yes. I've seen, people that were radically overweight, that had multiple surgeries on their body, that was uh, dealt with chronic yeast infections and, and acid reflux and heart disease and or heart conditions, uh, like every possible contamination, brain dysfunction, a neurological, <laughs> like I've seen really bad cases completely recover. And I've seen people who had only a minor condition, but kept doing the inflammatory based lifestyle and never fixed it. Mm -hmm. So the onus is going to be how much or how uh, committed that individual is to buying into complete um, number one, healing the issues in the short term that is compromising the health and then making the lifestyle, uh, lifestyle adjustments that are going to allow you to live your best life um, long-term. And then third, um, mitigating the kind of what I would call the, you know, I, I wanna be clear, like people look at me and they say, oh, you're a health expert and you know, you know this and you know about digestion and all this sort of stuff. And they kind of imagine that I'm living in some pristine lifestyle where I never have any inflammatory based <laughs> products or whatever. And that's not the case. What happens is because the, the, the issue that we're dealing with is we're dealing with a lot of associative pleasure with foods or things that aren't supporting our health. There's a social responsibility. There may be an emotional connection. There might be a physical addiction or certainly a sensory delight that we have to address as humans. So uh, you may have to abandon those foods for a period of time, spend, you know, three months to reconstitute your digestive health and then 
concordantly make the, the lifestyle adjustments for your overarching, you know, so you're not doing too much of the inflammatory. And then finally, the last stage would be, okay, if I'm going to go have those things that disrupt me, how do I mitigate those using the digestive health technology? And, and that's the stage I think where you're in the total joyful, astounding role is like, you know what, I can go out and have pizza and ice cream with my friends on the weekend. I can handle the gluten. I can handle the, the trans fatty acids. I can handle the, the, the glass of the, the too many glasses. I wine that wine that I have without having all the compromisation because overarching, I have a great strategy. I have the interventions and I have the management tools so I can have a little bit of fun on the side as well. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I, I like to reiterate that same thing. Cause I think people get so stuck in like, Oh no, I'm going to have to change my diet and lifestyle and like never be able to eat anything fun again, or, or, you know, yeah, go out for drinks, whatever their, their thing is that brings them joy. And like you said, sometimes you just have to like really focus and commit to healing, be it, you know, three months or however long your body really needs. And then it's so empowering because then you do know, like, yeah, I can handle it when I go out and have something that normally would have upset me in the past. And like, I've got the, the foundation laid and I know like what supplements I can turn to, to make sure, like you said, to mitigate those potential symptoms or negative effects. And that is such an empowering place to be when you've previously struggled for so long. It really is. And, you know, I think there's another component. If there's anything I can get through to people on this podcast, this would be it. Health is not your doctor's responsibility. Hmm. Your doctor's job is to mitigate the symptoms of the disease to the best of their ability. When you get to the doctor's office, number one, they often don't have time to deal with your lifestyle uh, issues that got into it. They're there to prescribe you whatever treatment they can to get you back out and producing. And they'll, and, and when the consequences of that become an issue, you'll get referred down the line to an expert in those consequences who will then refer you to an expert on any, you know, magnitude of consequences down the world. That is the right. model of health care that is being taught to us as healthcare. It's not healthcare, it's sick care. And it's good at dealing with sick care. Um, when it comes to your health, the, the selection of food the ability to break down digestion, utilize that food without complication, fit within a lifestyle that supports your health and well-being is your responsibility and your responsibility alone. And in order to navigate the quagmire of misinformation or low resolution thinking, which is proliferating the internet and YouTube and experts and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. And when I ran into my digestive issues, I got lucky that I met someone who had gone through the process, fixed themselves. And that person had overcome cirrhosis of the liver and cancer and, wow. you know, serious and was the model of a senior citizen. He was in his seventies at the time. He like, you were like everything you'd want to be. And you're like, really, you were that you were on literally on death door and you were able to come back from that. So I had that advantage of seeing that person. And being in such a compromised state myself, I mean, keep in mind, I was literally 25% heavier than I was 12 weeks earlier, you know, so right. from Mr. Universe to Mr. Marshmallow is a pretty deep crash. And um, I was able to fix myself using the principles we'll talk about. And, and we've 
we've maximized those, we've optimized those, and we share those freely on our website and our materials because I say you can't supplement your, out of, your way out of a bad diet, but the right supplement at the right time can help you get on and maintain the right diet for you. Right. Oh my gosh, that's so important. And yeah, so we'll, we'll get into to some of those um, practices, best practices and optimizers in a minute. I'm curious though, before we do, as a, a fellow competitor, do you, knowing what you know now and, and uh, reflecting on the experience you, you went through and everything you learned from it, does any part of you regret having competed in fitness competitions and taken your body to those extremes? No, I don't. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I'm probably an extreme person by nature in mm -hmm. some aspects. And for me, um, the sport of bodybuilding was something that I could channel, I would say, a lot of frustration and anger and uh, insufficiencies maybe of my childhood or stuff in, in a productive way instead of a self-destructive way. Um, now, and that led me to not only my education at university, but then into a career in the industry and, of course, reaching the pinnacle of aesthetic development. Now, anytime that you're going to be a high performer, whether that's in business, whether that's in sports, um, you know, whether that's in, you know, cognitive capacity, you want to be a PhD or you want to be an engineer or you want to be a business person or you want to be an athlete, there are trade-offs. There are consequence and cost to those decisions. Mm. And, you know, there, there's personal cost, there's relationship cost, there's uh, opportunity cost in the loss of time. So I would say I'm not regretful, but what I would say, had I sought out world-class expertise, I mean, I grew up without the internet. We, we, we didn't know what was happening. So everything was kind of secondary, very limited in, in the information that we had to work with in those days. Today, I would go about it differently. And then I'll give you an example. So I had a friend of mine who decided at the age of 40 that she wanted to enter into a physique competition. Mm -hmm. And she had acquired, I would say, a coach that <laughs> didn't have her best interest in mind. And once I discovered it, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I could see the train wreck coming, you know? And I said to her, I said, would, would, look, can I, can I intervene here? Can I take my, you know, 25 years of experience in this? Or actually, it's more than that now. It's 30 years experience. I regret to say maybe more than that. <laughs> can, I, can, can, I just, can I just leverage an expert for you? I've got a handful of people that could really fix this for you. Can I just introduce you to them and let them get you on the right track? Which she did. And it was a complete course correction. She went through the process. She learned about a lot about her, her physicality. Um, she ended up winning her component, but got into the shape of her life. And then now she's properly reverse dieting out of it. And mm -hmm. she's been using the nutritional supplements uh, to, to in combination with an expert who understands digestion, understands a female body and understands com competition and how to do it in a healthy manner. The other caveat is, is, you know, this woman's 40 years old, she's not 20 years old. And that's a big difference. Yeah, because I think for as good as it can be for men getting in those zones, I think, because, you know, men just tend to be self destructive by the, you know, 
prodigious amounts of testosterone, which is like <laughs> the most danger chemical in the world. You know, a young man, like if you can get past 30, you've done better than I think 80% of the men that's ever existed in life. <laughs> if you, if you Honestly. put that through content, yeah, it's true. It's just a very yeah. aggressive direction hormone. And so if you can put it into sports and channeling, yeah, there's consequences to it. It's, it's better than you driving your car down the street and smashing people and stuff like that. Um, for women, though, the disruption into their hormonal space, I don't think is fully recognized and understood by young women. I think the yeah. cosmetic pressure on women through uh, mass media is deep. And really, they should really first invest in understanding themselves, their reasons for going into those competitions and getting a qualified um, psychological coach as well as the physiological because um, I, a lot of the most, what I would say the most desirable physical people, like, you know, I, you know, people that made the cake at the, at the top levels of those industries there, I know them and they're absolute wrecks psychologically yep. <laughs> and hormonally. Yep. And I think a lot of women are doing themselves a disservice by the projection of what the potential outcome is, as opposed to understanding that and playing the long game. If you play the long game, I think it's an awesome sport. I think if you don't have that context, your chances of going off the rails are almost, almost guaranteed. It's pretty much, it's, it's the rare person who doesn't. And I can't tell you how many recovering fitness competitors and Instagram models that I have dealt with over the last 20 years and help them recover their health and then address you know, maybe some of the unresolved issues emotionally and psychologically in order to kind of be their best selves. And then, and what typically happens is they get into their 35s and 40s and 45s and they crush it in life and they have the confidence and they have the physicality that they always desired. And it's much better than the external component that whether they won the pro trophy or not, they have command and control of their health and well being. And that's a great place to be in. Oh my gosh, it's such a better place to be in. And and it is hard to, um, yeah, get that perspective sometimes with, without kind of learning those lessons the hard way, because uh, you're right, that, that external societal pressure for women in particular is so, so pervasive, so heavy. Um, so I think that was a really um, healthy piece of advice to, to give anybody who might be considering thinking about whether it's fitness competitions or even, you know, restrictive dieting for, for anything. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's uh, great. Thanks. Um, so yeah, now let's get into some kind of practical pieces of advice. So for anybody who is struggling with, with their digestion and just optimizing their health overall, what are some of those dietary and lifestyle practices, um, that you would recommend to help people fix their digestion and, and really see results? Great stuff. Um, first thing, number one, make sure that you're properly hydrated with water, not with coffee, not with tea, <laughs> not with sports drinks, not with all those things, real water. Yes. And I think that's a big issue. I think, uh, for most women, at least three liters a day and often more if they're athletic. And so start the day with, you know, a liter of water, uh, before you eat, make sure that you drink a, a half liter of water at least before, you know, 30 minutes before you eat. I think that's a big factor because that's going to help you produce more hydrochloric acid. It's also going to keep things moving so that your intestinal tract is hydrated and it's also going to make you feel much fuller than you would. Oftentimes people mistake dehydration with hunger and um, 
when I've tested people, virtually everybody that comes in to my testing lab for years and years and years, they're chronically dehydrated. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which means it takes many weeks, like two, three weeks for them to properly hydrate. That's number one. Um, second thing is you want to eat the more naturally occurring foods. Now there's a caveat with that. Some people may have lost the ability to digest plant matter. Some people may have lost the ability to digest animal products uh, or other issues. So food in its most natural state, but a diet that supported your system. For example, if you have a compromised digestive system and somebody puts you on a raw food diet, uh, well, that might, that might be an absolute disaster for you. Same oh, thing yeah. is you might decide that, oh, if I go on a carnivore diet or a keto diet, I can drop 30 pounds really quick, but then you set yourself up metab metabolically, or you've disrupted your microbiome that you're going to, you're going to become hypersensitive to sugar coming out of it. Yeah. So setting up a good strategy with an expert that can kind of look at maybe your genetics or your epigenetics and say, here, here's a diet that you think that you can stick to. You know, bodybuilding and fitness competitor diets uh, usually are small meals five to six times a day. If you're a, a woman with a family or a professional life or, you know, you're in school or whatever happens to be like, that's really hard to do from a food prep and from a food cost. You might do better on eating two times a day or three times a day. And that might lean to a higher fat diet um, because you want the caloric requirements without all the frequency. And same thing from a training perspective. How much are you, are, are you exercising? that's going to be a contributing factor. And I think the more people exercise, or certainly if they can get to an optimal amount of exercise every day, um, there, and there's two levels to exercise. There's like going out for a walk, which I think is the basic minimal functional. I don't necessarily qualify that as exercise. Exercise is where you are pushing the body's physicality, either in strength or endurance. And you need to do that, you know, at least three times a week where, you know, in a focus level to get full results um, from your digestive health, uh, or, or your overall general well-being uh, and self, you know, self-identification in a, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the neurochemical cascade from regular in, intense exercise several times a week is well worth the time investment. Once you've got that covered, um, then you want to, uh, you want to eliminate uh, on your dietary stuff, high corn, high you know, corn syrup, high fructose, yeah. Get that out of your diet. Number one, number two, get out trans fatty acids, the fried foods, the, uh, or hydrogenated fats out of your diet, get those things out of the diet. Those are going to make big difference, uh, makers for you right off the bat. The next stage I would say is try to eliminate as many, uh, things like anything that has any of the dyes or any of the preservatives that you see. So if it's, uh, you know, uh, silicon diwahecalate, probably <laughs> right. not good for you. Dimethyl, I don't know what it is. <laughs> you exactly. Know, like, like if you don't know what it is, your body probably won't know what it is. If, 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 the, if the syllables go over four or five, you're probably in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, those are some, you know, so, so starting with a, a, a basic elimination diet of the contaminary agents that are disrupting your system. And if you're experiencing, um, you know, those early symptoms, bad breath in the morning, crusty eyes or brain fog, probably adding a good digestive enzyme before you eat would be a good idea. If you're experiencing a lot of bloating and gas, 
Um, I would say that um, ensuring that you have good probiotics and you can get a GI map or, or a Viome test to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to get a good indication of where your maybe your optimal probiotics. And if you really go to the next level, you can go to a genomic test where you can see which dietary choices of your bodies would actually digest and absorb much better. And it can sometimes be surprising. Right. I had a, I had a lady on my podcast that did a genetic test and found out that her parents weren't really her parents. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And, oh my then, God. And, 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 and she always had these problems and then discovered her real parents who had to give her up for adoption and had this totally transformational experience. It was amazing. like, it's wow. one of the craziest stories ever. And her family was so happy. Her new family was happy to meet her and it all worked out and her, her digestive system changed. Cause she went to a diet that was better for her genetic. Like it was oh the God. craziest story ever. <laughs> like you might not know. So I'm not saying that if you have trouble with your parents, you should get a genetic test. Right. Maybe not from them, but <laughs> That's wild, <laughs> what I'm saying though, is, yeah. is you know, do not underestimate your genetics and epigenetics on how they might influence your digestive health. And then uh, if you're dealing with acid reflux or heartburn, you're probably dealing with um, uh, low hydrochloric acid. So adding hydrochloric acid after your meals. And then, then if you've really been blown out and let's say you've struggled with digestion for years, you've got many of those symptoms at different times and you're like, I'm so tired of this. I can't stick to a diet. I'm having problems with this. What you really need to do is set aside a time, do your testing and say, you know what? I'm going to take the next 12 weeks. I'm going to go all in and come do a complete gut reset, mm -hmm. use intestinal cleansers, some herbal laxatives to kind of get things going, get some enzymes and hydrochloric acid, put in a, a, an array of probiotics and different levels to wipe things out. Maybe even take a, a parasite uh, cleanser. And, and, and do an elimination diet or a restricted diet for those three months until you correct those issues. And, and once you correct it, then you want to start to gradually introduce the food products that work with your diet and your lifestyle. And that's where people make people that go and do that work and, and commit for 90 days to reset your gut. It's well worth the investment. That's what I did. I, I bought all in and went 90 days and that turned into a two year journey. Cause I felt so darn good after that. I just continued on. And, and then after four years, I'd worked out all the parameters and were able to come back, win world championships without having the dietary stress, without feeling bad, uh, not maintaining my mental focus, not having the joint pain dieting with ease and grace. And, and, and so I'm a testimonial to that. And that's after I had figured that all out, I took it to the world. And so we offer all those options uh, to listeners and uh, whatever they want to participate in. Amazing. Yeah. So, so where can people find out uh, more about all of that and find out more about you and what you're up to if they want to learn more? Sure. If they go to uh, bioptimizers.com well, then <laughs> they can put that in and if they put in well, then 10, uh, they will get a 10% discount on any of our products. But whether you buy our products or not, that's not my goal here. I mean, it's wonderful. And we do have amazing digestive aids and we're featured on all the who's who in the industry uh, talking about us. But more importantly, go, go to the site, go to Bioptimizers and, and get the awesome health course. It's a free course. Um, and you can kind of pick and choose and understand enzymes and how to select the right probiotics and what kind of hydration you can use and, and you know, what's the best exercise that you can do. And I have a whole 15 minute a day routine people can do to really kickstart their life regardless of their current physical condition. That is the culmination of 30 years of interviewing experts, studying the best digestive health practices from virtually every different 
type of diet and systematizing into a, a simple, easy to format for people to understand. They can watch while they're in line uh, at the grocery store because there seem to be longer these days or yeah, they're yeah. At, their, at their kids, you know, recital or ballet class or, or soccer practice. So it doesn't matter. You can watch these little five to minute to 15 minute videos, understand something, get integrated, do your own due diligence and research, or just go straight to the application and decide to go to get at it. And if you do use our products, we give a hundred percent money back guarantee on everything that we do. In other words, we'd like for you to systematically um, address those issues. Uh, we have a bioptimization blueprint book that kind of outlines my specific methodology that Matt and I use to treat tens of thousands of people uh, around the world, or I should say treat, I should say help. Right. Um, and it works. And the question is, is if you, if you want it to work, you got to work it. So you can reach us there, Facebook, by optimizers, Facebook, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. My team, you know, wheels me out on those mediums periodically to kind of uh, to share my insights. Amazing. We'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes below for anybody who's listening, who wants to learn more. And, and uh, thank you for offering the audience a discount as well. Oh, my pleasure, Megan. I love this. And uh, I love helping people. And we read those testimonials out every Monday on our team meeting and, and my whole business career that I, I love hearing you know, the little old lady that was 65 and suffered from digestive issues so bad she couldn't go play bridge with her friends and now mm. she can. And, you know, the, the woman who thought she would never get back into shape after pregnancy and now she's, you know, kicking butt and taking names. I, 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 I just love those stories. So it's, it's what I live for. Yeah, it's, you know, why we do what we do. That's, that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, so last question I love to ask everybody who comes on this show, being that this is a, a holistic wellness show, what is one uh, wellness practice or habit that you swear by and can't live without each day? Rebounding. Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, rebounding. I got a little mini trampoline right here in my office and I got one on my rooftop gym. And um, I think it is the simplest, most effective exercise for your entire body. It increases mitochondrial density. It's fun. You cannot be in a bad mood on a rebounder and 10 minutes a day can do miracles for people. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's fun. You can throw on your favorite songs and, and just ha have fun with it. For those of you who don't know what rebounding is, it's basically just jumping on a mini trampoline, right? Exactly. And um, my friend, uh, David Hall, who has a company called The Seller Size, he makes a great product. Is He is the epitome of what anybody would want to be. And he's been using his every day for 40 years. And it's incredible. Amazing. I love that so much. Keeps you young, for sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, Wade. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of your valuable insights and your story and everything that you've learned along the way. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And this was such a fun and insightful conversation. Thanks, Megan. My pleasure. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll, we'll see you soon again. And for everybody who tuned in today, if you know somebody who might benefit from hearing this episode, please feel free to share it with them so that they can learn and heal their digestion too. And thank you so much for tuning in as always until next time, have a happy and healthy day.